Namo tassa bhagavato arhato samma sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato arhato samma sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato arhato samma sambuddhasa Udang damang sangkang namasami In you know, meditation, Buddhist meditation, it was you know, cultivating, seeing what the mind is doing, noticing what the mind is doing, how it generates worlds, projects futures, past, creates substance, creates huge atmospheres, intensities and joy, sorrow, despair, elation, happiness, boredom, feeling rejected, feeling important, feeling unimportant. (laughs) Yeah, these kind of great moods that run across it. And there's this, uh, you know, Attachment to it, or a kind of a feeding on that, and those those atmospheres, somehow giving us some substance. This kind of um, instinctive hunger for substance, for being something, filling ourselves up with something. It's not a decision. It's a kind of basic how we got born, it's before, before our personalities arise, you know, it's the thing that got us into incarnation, it's not something we can easily see, we certainly don't decide to do it, but it just, we're going through this process of continually filling ourselves up or being filled with experiences, resonating with them, feeling them, moved by them, and then puff, Bits fall away and something changes, something shifts. And then we're suddenly we're in another realm. Weather changes. Yet we never seem to get out of the weather. You know, storms and sun and spring and winter. You know. And the aim is to, you know, is to really release ourselves from this. This habit is so strong, it generates us, we don't generate it, it generates us, it's called bhava, becoming, being, existence, it generates us, so it's nobody's fault, it's not a personal flaw, it's just a kind of, you know, just pointing this out as something that is happening all the time, isn't it? In our lives, a story is running on. It's got intensities and doubts and seeks conclusion, never quite finds conclusion. It comes to kind of rest places and then, oh, something shifts and changes and, oh, we're on the road again. Mm. By no means unhappy. Sometimes very happy. Warm <coughs> and then suddenly shifts, weather changes. It's like that, isn't it? Mm. 
and uh, you know, this is kind of so dukkha is this unsatisfied quality to it in that there's always some hunger for the finality or the closure or the pattern or the understanding or the big picture or the resolution or you know where it's ah <laughs> you know the final around the, for the final hill and there we are just around the bend and there we are you know there it is and you know even thinking of things like enlightenment we imagine you can imagine you know you just do this and this and this and eventually after a long pilgrimage we arrive at you know <laughs> golden shore yeah. I remember seeing this um, cartoon that my friend of ours drew many years ago and this uh, I the note. here's a chap who actually carved the Buddha's Buddha footprints out on the Sema Mike Champion dead now and he did the cartoon and this first frame of this cartoon is this fellow carrying a boat and he sees this and this goes down to the the sea and there's this signpost saying to the other shore and he gets in the boat he's got a dog and a lantern with him in a little bag of food and he's sailing across this rowing like crazy then the wind blows up the waves come up it's turbulent hanging on dog falls overboard you know a light blows out and he's, then a storm smashes his boat up and he's hanging on to a piece of driftwood for grim grim death and uh, finally crashes onto the other shore and there's a signpost on the other shore pointing backwards saying to the other shore (laughs) 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 which is the real will the real shore stand up you know (laughs) which is the real where's the other one you know there isn't another one. <laughs> it's just kind of coming out of that particular, you know, movement of, towards, yeah. Mm. So, I mean, people often point this out about the goal orientation. And yet, we say there are, we say there's only goals, but there are kind of um, targets, you might say, that help us to get our aim straight. It's rather like having um, a bullseye as a t- target. Not to hit the bullseye, but to really learn how to aim straight. So you need some kind of target, you know, to get, to get yourself straight and clear and steady and focused. Yeah. So yeah, there, there, are, there are relative targets, we might say. You know, and there are relative aims, and there are relative things that straighten us up and get us clear. Till through that clearing and straightening, we can come out of the trance. Mm. You don't have a target, you tend to go onto the instinctive mode where a lot of this barber is happening, but we don't necessarily acknowledge how we're getting filled with a feeling of okay or getting by or complacency or, you know, it's a bit stagnant because we haven't really attuned, you know. So it's not that there's a goal in an ordinary sense, but there is an aim that helps to tune us up. Because bhava, being existence, is not something that just drops off that easy. You've got to be sharp, you've got to be full, you've got to be bright. 
to uh, come out of that. Yeah. And it's just to recollect, you know, that that what the Buddha is saying, in a way, very simply, is, you know, it's possible for us to be free and happy. You know? and, you know, and anything that's not that, watch out for that. You know, you don't have to be driven. It's possible for us not to be haunted. Mm. And you know, in some ways, instructions. You could boil it down. I sometimes think of it in, you know, different ways you can conceive of it. You know. It's Thinking the other day, I was just about having a shower actually, sometimes my <laughs> just suddenly popped in <laughs> for some reason or another. I think, you know, to actually really pay attention. That's your, you might say that's the basic beginning of meditation is pay attention. Pay attention to all of it, you know, to what's, you know, pay attention. Learn how to pay attention. And, uh, Meet what's happening. Really meet what's happening. Yeah. And include it all. You know, the, the, the shadow stuff, the grey stuff, the unimportant stuff, the things that we take for granted. Really bring it all forward. Bring it all into the light. Hmm? You know. Pay attention. And this is something that obviously we learn in meditation, but really it's paying attention to what we're doing. Quite a lot of our training, we might say, is just in learning to attend and not be uh, conditioned or not be just confined to attending to particular you know, themes that are placed in front of our noses. You know, like, okay, we practice mindfulness of breathing. Fine. You know, we kind of know the story on that. So you can do it. But paying attention also means continually attending to to what's really going on. I notice quite a lot in um, activities. You know, you, you kind of start, you start picking up a piece of hose pipe, you know, if you picked up a hose pipe and you think, oh, just kind of just a piece of old hose pipe, just wrap it up and throw it in a shed somewhere, you know, and you start, you realise it doesn't actually go the way you want it to, you've got to, you've got to find out how it wants to twist and curve, you know, or you try untying a knot, you know, when you're in a hurry, you think, oh, just yank, and it, oh, <laughs> and you've got to actually, actually attend to where the loose places are on the knot to really work on it. You know, you kind of tease it out. You can't just do it. You've got to give attention to what you're doing. And many things that, that around us in life, you know, pay attention to what people are actually saying rather than what we think they're saying or assume they're saying. You know, pay attention to what they're really saying right now. 
so a lot of our training is learning that, isn't it? Pay attention when we walk in, when we open the door. We had used to have this um, scenario at Amrawadi, whereby there was this, Amrawadi, as you know, is quite a lot of buildings. Every building has doors in it. Of course, when you come into a room, your aim is to get into the room. And when you leave the room, your aim is to get out of the room. And you often forget what a door is. <laughs> so people would come crashing into a room, throw the door open, leave it open, yeah. and it would sort of swing around the wind and bang shut, you know, behind them. And then they'd leave the room, throw the door open, forget the door, close the door behind, and then bang, door flaps around the wind and crashes behind them. So if you're sitting in the room, you hear this kind of, you know, people actually not knowing what a door is not really focusing on the door, they focus on where they're going, getting in, getting out, but not actually on the door. So we used to have these kind of signs on the door saying, this is a door. <laughs> and still, but of course you see a sign, you see it once and you ignore it. <laughs> it's just a sign. <laughs> you actually pay attention to a door. You know, sometimes I walk around here and find out, you know, you see a light on in the toilet, and it's been on there for half an hour. Somebody actually, you know, go into a toilet, switch the light on, and then leave without recognising that the light's on. You know, it wasn't on when you came in, it's dark, so how come it, you know, you switch it off? Just that, that. And such simple things, seemingly simple things like that do show us how preoccupied our minds tend to be almost by default. So you can't take attention for granted because it's noticing without, you know, criticizing others, because I mean I'm sure we all have our blind spots, that the mind's a lot of the mind's function is actually to not notice. Because it's simpler that way. Paying attention is actually a payment. Isn't it? You know, it takes a little bit of extra mental effort to, to really notice where the default is to get something known and then, okay, now I know what I'm doing and then we can glide a little bit. You know, you don't have to go to that sort of rather exposed and uncertain place where you've really got to, you know, look at it and review it and sense it. So the mind's Default is not to know, but to actually conceive and shortcut and preconceive, so we don't have to go into that process of opening up and really attuning. And as probably most of us recognise, there's a good amount of preoccupation and pre-prejudice, you know, pre-judging situations, preconceiving, that, that pretty normal. To, to pay it and even with things like mindfulness of breathing you know, actually breathing in, breathing out we have, it's a pretty easy thing to understand and most of us have I imagine not a non-visual, but a kind of basic conceptual map breathing in is kind of something going in and going out. 
and to really, but to actually really sense what happens when we breathe in and breathe out, the whole thing, to really pay attention to it, just like it's, like you're coming from Mars, and you don't know what this thing is. Hmm? And listening to your mind like it's somebody else, and, oh, what's she saying, what's he saying, who do you think this is? Going into your room, and who do you think lives here? You know, pay attention. And it's not about being critical, but just to keep things fresh, like every day. Who is this? Who am I today? Hmm? What's happening now? What are the things I take for granted? Hmm? So it's that very basic tool for waking up and to to realize it's a payment. There's There's a kind of effort there. Pay attention, but don't get distracted, even by attention. You know, sometimes we can get so that you can, we get distracted by things that dazzle us, or uh, confuse us, or excite us in some ways. Or you get dazzled, strange enough, by attention itself. So I often tell this story that when I was teaching a retreat one time in America. One of the retreatants told me his one of his stories was he'd been doing a very highly focused meditation practice where he's doing everything very, very slowly, a little bit at a time, and really getting into this moment by moment, highly focused attention. You know, and doing this for you know weeks, months at a time. And the idea was just you, you kind of focus on what you're doing very slowly and you keep kind of recollecting what you're doing or what's actually happening, which, you know, is fine. But you can get enchanted with it as like a little um, gadget, you know. It's like having a um, you know, toy of some kind because it's quite interesting and you feel very like you're really doing something with it. So when he was thought that he'd go and make a cup of tea for the teacher of the retreat, so he noticed this idea coming into his mind and looked at it. Oh, that's a good, there's kindness there. That's got skillful roots. I'll follow that thought. So he noted turning, moving towards the door, reaching his hand out feeling the touch of the door handle, turning the door handle, hearing the door creak, holding the door carefully, quietly pulling it closed, feeling pleased that he managed that door, walking a step at a time, quietly, softly, mindfully to the where the kitchen was, going carefully into the dining room where the hot water urn was, moving slowly towards the hot water urn, not being hasty, putting his hand on the spigot, turning the spigot very slowly, turning it slowly, and this suddenly's voice coming to his head, something wrong, <laughs> something wrong, <laughs> forgot the cup. <laughs> 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 
when you get dazzled by the, the you know, the doingness of attention. But actually, a, a primary quality of attention is not to get fascinated with being super microscopic, but to open up awareness. Awareness is, is this very lovely experience we all have, is that when we do hold something carefully with attention, and you're not trying to make anything out of that, you're just attending to it, there's a whole receptive um, opening. You know, we realize the mind is not just about making things and doing things and going forward or regretting or doubting. We can actually be still and it starts to open up. You know, some sense of a big space, quite peaceful, receptive space, which is not really in the object, nor is it something that's motivated. It's quite quiet and still, it's just a big receptive space. And that's the function of attention, is when we focus on something, it starts to open up this quality of awareness that has a a power, its nature is to penetrate, it it just by itself, rather, it just penetrates the drives and the fixations and the sticky things where we get stuck because it has got no stick in it it's the no stick bit (laughs) it doesn't push it doesn't hold it doesn't resist doesn't want anything it's not hungry it's it's the bit that's that's out of the becoming process but you don't become aware. Mm. You can't get there through hunger, but you get there, you, you access it through attention. It's there all the time. And when you access it, you realize, oh yeah, it's there all the time, but somehow, rather like um, not noticing space, you don't see it unless for that moment you attend carefully, and oh yeah. It's a very natural quality. And this is our possibility for freedom. Freedom that's peaceful, because it is very peaceful. But, of course, uh, there's a tendency to, because of this default of the mind to, to not notice, to be inattentive, we slide out of that into just the movement of sensation and happiness and unhappiness and ups and downs and all that. Awareness is the is the, the non-clinging. Hmm? Doesn't feed. It's not hungry. Really, the you know for freedom, the aim is to to attend to these these places, these parts. To the where where there is there is clinging, so you start to to bring awareness onto where there's a, there's a, a habit or an attachment or a stuck places or you know all of it. Include all of it. See what's there. Clinging doesn't always announce itself. You know, some of it's pretty obvious, but a lot of it isn't. So you know, we say meet what what's really arising. It sounds like a big job, but actually the 
point of having uh, meditation practice is you, you just bring awareness to what is actually arising now. You don't have to think about you know past lives, future lives, the whole, but just now. And in that, we start to uh, sense that what we will need to be released from will be presented. Hmm? If you t- take the last bit, include it all. Hmm? Meet what arises, pay attention, meet what arises, include it all. And what arises isn't necessarily what we want to arise or chosen to arise. So sometimes you think, oh, nothing much is happening, this is pretty boring, what's the point, I can't see anything to do here. Meet that. <laughs> what does that feel like, you know? What's happening? And admittedly, it isn't always so easy because sometimes, you know, you don't really hit meet it squarely. There's either a wanting to get rid of it, or not wanting to notice it at all, or just reacting. So there is a sense that it does take time to really kind of allow things to come into focus. Mm. We are in trances, you know, and sometimes it takes takes quite a bit of time before you really get it, you get the point of what one do, what you need to see, you know. Yeah. Things one is uh, entranced by. The retreat I was teaching one time, it was quite a long retreat, and I was teaching about mindfulness of breathing and <clears throat> giving some fairly detailed instructions. And I was going, there was about 40, 50 people on the retreat, so it took a while to get around to doing all the interviews. And somewhere after a considerable period of time, I got around to interviewing one fellow, and he'd had hay fever for the last two weeks, so he couldn't actually focus on his breathing at all because just everything was inflamed streaming and you know so his practice had just been listening to all his instructions on mindfulness of breathing <laughs> and meeting the feeling of frustration irritation disappointment inability to do it and just meeting these stuff and you know, you know just meeting it with attention and awareness and not resisting it and not identifying with it, not shoving it away, and just letting it, all this stuff melt, move through. So he found it a very good retreat, actually, even though he didn't get one mindful inhalation. <laughs> <laughs> so sometimes it's like that, isn't it? You can say, you know, the, the target may be breathing in, breathing out, because we have to have a target. But actually the practice is to meet what arises when you, you aim that way, you know? Whether what arises is the fact you've got a head cold or you can't do it or you, you know. But if you didn't have some sense of an aim, it wouldn't throw that, those things into relief. It wouldn't present those things. So a lot of our practice is actually, you know, doing things we can't quite do. We never, it's never classic. It's never, um, you know, straight, plain sailing. And so we meet that sense of, what that brings up for us. Sometimes we get 
blame the system, we blame ourselves, or we feel pointless and waste of time, or we get frustrated, or we get revved up, or whatever. Wow, you know, this, it really brings the stuff up, doesn't it? Brings up one's self, one's these karmic patterns. Some people just kind of crumple and feel sad, some people get bristly and run away. You know, some, you can see the mind swinging around when it can't do what it wants or it's what it thinks it's supposed to do. But then that's, as you say, oh, fine, yeah, good. <laughs> can, we, can you be with that? Can you understand a little more about frustration or irritation or sadness or whatever? And how these atmospheres, these weathers, these mood swings, how they... You know, how it seems so much like oneself, the voices and the, you know, how your story gets written, your profile gets written on a simple thing like watching your breath. You know, you can sometimes see the patterns of your life in, a, in, what, in an hour of meditation. The idealism, the... Um, you know, or the cynicism, or the half-heartedness, or the full-tilt boogie, or the, I'm going to get this sorted out, or, well, I can't really do this. You, you actually can see some of these life messages that run through many of the activities that we do. Once you have a target, it just, you know, that's the, that's the sense of the meditation with an aim, is to, is to pull all this stuff up. So you see your sankharas, your programs, your patterns, and you meet them. And you meet them with what has become available through attention, which is this awareness, you know, something that's open, non-judgmental. And it starts to dissolve them. Not because it even wants to dissolve them, you're not trying to, because it just doesn't feed them. So they, the nature is to unravel. Yeah. And there's an important bit, because... Naturally, we don't want to experience suffering and so on. Um, but there's a there's an important hair's breadth difference between that sense of move, moving away from it or dismissing it, or, or naturally just allowing it to unravel. It's much humbler, but it's also much more pure. Mm. Knowing that one shouldn't have greed, hatred, delusion, you know, whatever it is. And be, but being there, aware of that, and allowing it to run itself out through, just by not engaging, by, by, non, by meeting it without engagement, without creation or resistance, denial. Include it all. Doesn't mean we have to do everything that's possible for human beings to do, you know, sail up the Nile. But meet all, you know, you can recognize you can meet it all, all of your patterns your messages, your stories, your life programs, 
yeah, I am this is, the I never get mine, the I'm always like this, the, you know, those things, yeah? You know, you know the I've always, I'm the one who always has to do, or I'm the one who never gets a chance, or I'm the one who's bigger, or I'm the one who's smaller, I'm the one who's, you know, those messages, you know those messages? <laughs> I heard a few. <laughs> yeah. Or the ambitions that we have, and to meet them. And when I say it like this, even still, like you know, I can sense some even, you know, feeling that they're wrong. But really, it's there. It is. You know, it's all perfect, all human, and it has to be met with the understanding. That it's right in that process, that sankara. That's where you want to be purely, not moving away from it, just purely in that, with a lot of with the faith and the power of awareness to melt it. Not anything judging, not pushing it away, resisting it. It's in the very arising of greed, hatred and delusion that we find release somewhere in there it's that close and that subtle and to include it all Everything that we see as solid, everything we feel we are, or we feel other people are, becomes a certain solid form, subtle form, psychological form, emotional form. Behind it there's a shadow. Everything that's solid casts a shadow, doesn't it? The shadow is perhaps what would it be like when they're not there? You know? Their absence, that which we love, the absence of that is its shadow. Yeah. Or the feet, you know, or the feeling of fear, you know, somebody else, you know, something I'm not. And even in our own own minds, you know, the our own hearts and minds, the the uh, things we feel we are cast shadows of um, uncertainty, attachment. This is called Mara. You probably know, famous famous character, Mara. And uh, noticing there actually, in later Pali literature, the five Maras. You have to include all the Maras. Mara is someone, something that has to be fully known, fully seen, fully witnessed. The Buddha fully knows Mara. He doesn't push it away, but fully knows it. I'm sure you've heard this line. The five Maras give us an idea, in some ways, of the range of Mara. It's, a, it's, a, it's obviously not literal, it's a kind of 
teasing out into an allegorical form. And the five Maras, there's a, it's called Devaputta Mara, which is the Mara of, uh, Devaputta means son of, son of the gods. It means it's the sense of glory. It's like, uh, you know, in, in, um, in the New Testament, when Satan tempts Jesus and says, I can make you Lord of the world, you know, I can make you king. This is, this is Mara, David Buddha Mara, it's the sense of glory. Our, our, when, so it's like when the, our conscious process, our minds, feel the sense of um, glory, power, strength, being on top of the world. And when we do, when we find to that, we miss out, we leave out the vulnerable, we leave out the death, we leave out the compassion, you know, we leave out the humanity. So we get stuck in one thing and we don't include all the other aspects which consciousness is prone to, which our lives are prone to. So you want to include it all. What are you leaving out? What are you stuck on? Uh, another Mara is the called the Kilesa Mara, which means you've got a particular obsession about a certain thing, an object. It could be food, it could be uh, various pleasures of some kind, or it could be something that really annoys you, you know, something that irritates you about other people. You know, people's mannerisms that get on your nerves. See, so you, this thing then becomes massive. You know? you know? In meditation retreats, you often get these calaces arise around, you know, somebody sitting there and suddenly you notice there's the one person with a squeaky jacket. You know, somebody always wears a nylon jacket. You know, one of these kind of, you know, nylon anoraks. And so when they, you hear them going, reek, when they sit and squeak and they move around you, you want to kill them. <laughs> or somebody who fidgets or somebody sniffling or sobbing somewhere. And you, you know, there's all these other things that are going on. Your mind goes to this one little object. And goes, <laughs> you know, or it's something that really fascinates you. You know, you get these quite called vipassana romances, whereby the, you, know, you see someone in retreat and they look really angelic or whatever, and you see, you see the particular aspect, and you only see that, and you leave out the rest of it. So again, something is lost. The sense of compassion, and you know. Something is taken as as the as the only thing, and it's not something that we decide to do. It, these calaces are not decision making. We don't do them deliberately. They're just they're 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 maras. You know, that's the point of calling it a mara. It's not yourself. It's a it's a conjurer, you know, twisting your mind to, to take something to obsess with something. The kanda mara is the mara that. Um, you know, sticks all this body, form, consciousness, feelings into one lump called me. When you really recognize, actually, you know, in a day, I mean, you know, you're in and out of your body, you're through various states of consciousness, feelings come and go, the whole thing is just uh, uh, completely insubstantial. And we miss that. There's the hovering sense of, you know, one is in this finite form. 
and there's the um, last Mara is the Mara death we believe in death you know it's a something that kind of sits somewhere and we don't really want to see it or note it I <clears throat> saw so a, a body at Amrawaddi recently is corpse laid out have a temp a chapel of rest there and um, there was a young woman or had been a young woman you call it a young woman um, on the wall these photographs of this she died when she was 30 so cancer of some kind and on the wall is a kind of happy pleasantly formed you know round cheek smiling with a just come out of university with a cap and gown on and then she was on holiday and there she was with her dog and there she was having fun and this and the other and there's this kind of corpse lying in the coffin you know not really looking like the same person being very much thinner and definitely there he is you know and you can see one set of perceptions this kind of happy smiling girl woman photographs shiny photographs is that perception that's your her, she, and then you see this other thing, that's her, she's dead, you know, she's alive, dead, dead, alive, you know, one's a piece of cell, you know, piece of paper with a form on it, so this is kind of, <laughs> who's that, <laughs> you know, who's that, who died, you know? apart from perception, feeling, Belief, certainty, what was it? Fear, pain, sorrow, grief. Well, naturally enough, you know, this was what it was about, wasn't it? There wasn't a person there who actually died. There was hope that passed away. There was belonging that seemed to cease. There was anticipation. There was sorrow. There was the passing and changing of moods and feelings and perceptions and knowing and belonging and who's that what what died what dies when with this the only thing is that I don't know what it, I don't know what it is like Woody Allen said you know I don't mind dying I just don't want to be there when it happens <laughs> Perhaps we're not. <laughs> you know what I mean? Something's going on. It's change, shifting, changing, this, that, this, that, this, that. But, uh, you know, what really dies? What's really, once we understand this, then we also understand what's, what's living, what's alive. You know? And you can, you know, you consider what's alive is happy, sad, comic, tragic, unimportant, vital, necessary, urgent, relaxed, at ease, old, young, small, big, male, female, known, unknown. It's everything because it's everything. It's nothing. No, because it's no one thing. It's angry and joyful and compassionate and loving and, and spiteful and fearful and angry. And, you know. So which is the, you know, 
it's old and young and which is the real one so we see when it's when we include it all we don't take some particular piece as the final statement this is what happens in projection isn't it you know you see oh she's so wonderful you know she's wonderful she's also nothing special you know he's also you know somebody scratching their head in the morning somebody cleaning their teeth eating their food it's just, you know it's 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 everything and when it's everything it's also no one thing and when you open up to that then it's also compassionate because you're open to all of it in yourself and in others this is you know this is me getting confused this is her getting confused this is this that you know there's a sense of compassion because you're not leaving anything out there's also a sense of freedom because there isn't that grasping and resisting and worrying and you know it's like it's just that so when there's compassion and freedom you haven't left anything out hmm? and you're not hungry anymore you see that you know, that, that's possible that, that if we really pay attention and meet what actually is arising not the dream or the perception or the memory or the hope, or the idea, or the bias, or if we meet, or if, we, if there is the bias, we meet the bias as that. You know, we just meet what arises with awareness, allow it to dissolve. Then there's that sense of being. You know, we can be compassionate because you don't have to carry the weight of it all. And there's no resistance. There's compassion and freedom, love and release. Mm. This is what the aim is. It's not a goal, but it requires that aiming to pay attention. to meet the present moment and to look out for what we're missing out where we're forgetting what we're forgetting Hmm? what's standing now between your own heart awareness and freedom sometimes you think oh yeah okay fine yeah I'm alright is there anything that's stopping you feeling absolutely free and at ease now? I wouldn't, yeah. Say, oh, yeah. <laughs> Something that's kind of wasn't a big problem. It's not a massive problem. It's a kind of nagging worry or a feeling of regret or some pain in my body or, oh, that. Okay, let's bring it forward. You know, bring it forward. 
because these these elements don't always announce themselves. Your practice has to have that motivation to to bring Mara out of the shadow and place it where it can be seen. This is the aim of practice. Anyone? <coughs> 